Today, I want to talk about the cross in relationship to the law. Now, in different classes here, I have taught on the law a little bit, so I do want to recap some of that because I think it's important and pertinent to what I'm going to share today. When Paul's talking about the law here, he is talking about the Mosaic law. The law that Moses, the Lord gave Moses to give to the Israelites in the desert at Mount Sinai. Okay? Now, unless you have grown up in an Orthodox Jewish household, you have never really experienced the law. The way that he's actually talking about it. Paul actually talks about it in the scriptures. Okay. So we need to adjust what he's talking about to something relevant to us personally. Okay. Um, because not many of us understand the ordinances. Most, many of us probably don't even have all the ordinance under our belts, let alone have grasped how you would live that in everyday life. You know, because as Gentiles, that was never put on us. But we don't have a feast cycle that we have to obey. We don't have cleanliness ordinances that we are required to obey. We don't have different sacrifices for failures and shortcomings that we have to obey. If you, um, well, just next time you end up reading through the Pentateuch, just notice how many regulations there were for their lives and that basically your whole life would be caught up in, in meeting these requirements. Like your life would revolve around the law, not only in the yearly feast cycle where there were seven different feasts that you celebrated throughout the year that, that reflected different facets of their covenant relationship with the Lord, but everything down to how to deal with um, marital relations, how to deal with offenses between br- the brethren, if, brother, if you wrong somebody or damage their property, um, certain foods that could not be mixed, certain types of things that could not be eaten, certain things that could be eaten but only in certain ways. This would just resonate right down to the very everyday ins and outs of their existence, Okay. So when when Paul talks about the law, that's what he's talking about. We, as non-Jews, culturally speaking, don't even have a clue what that's like. So we talk about the law, the law, the law, and you need to stop and think for a minute what that really meant to the Jews because the law that they were under was a covenant relationship, okay? Before Israel entered the land, the Lord made a covenant with them, and they, they covenanted with the Lord to keep the law, okay? And so the Lord was bound to that covenant and Israel was bound to that covenant, okay? And the covenant basically was that there were certain things that they had to live up to. And if they lived up to those things, that they would experience great blessing. They would have um, bumper crops. There would be plenty of rain. There, there would be no disease. There would be um, no problems with enemies surrounding them and so on and so on. There were all these things that would happen if that were good if they kept the law. But if they did not keep the law, the reverse would happen. There would be pestilence. There would be famine. There would be disease. There would be crop failures. There would be starvation. Um, Enemies would, you know, encroach on their territory and ultimately would end up in the captivity and dispersion among the nations. That would be the last thing that would happen that was was, um, the result of their breaking the law. Okay. So we don't when we receive the Lord as non-Jews, we're not really familiar with coming out of that. Okay, that isn't really something that answers to us very much. Okay? But, even though that's true, almost every single individual has a code of conduct, whether it's conscious or not conscious, that we think is right and wrong and ought to be abided by. Okay? Um, Most of us aren't anarchists or weren't anarchists before we got saved. Most of us pretty much obeyed the speed limit. 
um, thought that you had to act reasonably rational in any day-to-day relatings with other people, um, would have a conscience if you did if you wronged somebody, you'd feel guilty about it. You know, um, <clears throat> if you were doing something you knew you should have been doing, you would hide when you did it because you didn't want to be found out. There's a basic inherent law on the inside. It's not the mosaic law. Philosophers call it the natural law. It's basic. It's it's the sense of right and wrong that's in every single human being in the species. That anywhere, no matter what culture you go to, if you steal another man's wife, that's wrong. I don't care if it's Christian, Muslim, Buddhist. I don't care who you are. That's wrong. Okay. Um, there's certain things that we just know that we shouldn't do. Um, so you could say, in a sense, that there is a law on the inside. And for most of us, what we struggle with is that law, okay? And what we also tend to struggle with, as now as Christians, as born-again believers, we tend to struggle with a code that Western Christianity has put in place that may or may not have anything to do with what's in the scriptures, okay? Um, there, depending on what group of believers you're visiting, there are standards of dress, some believers think that Christian women only wear skirts and that men only dress up to go to church and that anything else is a sign of disrespect. But some Christian circles believe that if you dress up, you're just religious and you're a hypocrite. So they would have their own code, would they not? If you don't wear jeans, we think less of you. I'm giving a silly example. There are other examples. It go all the way down to how to run a family. What kind of food Christians eat? What kind of drinks they don't drink? What kind of words and language we use? What kind of things occupy our pastime? Certain pleasures and enjoyments are forbidden and taboo in Christian circles. That, well, and some things should be. <laughs> some things that are basically wrong should be. But I'm saying above and beyond what's basically understood as you know, normal, good human behavior. There are certain things that have been added to Christian living because somewhere along the line, we got it in our heads that there's an outward code that must be honored and respected to show that we're Christians, and Christians know how to suppress certain things. And we kind of covered this in the class, previous classes. Christians know how to suppress certain things. Christmas, Christians must appear Christian. Well, what does a Christian look like? Well, the Bible doesn't really say. So we just kind of take a, take a look at our culture and what we decide is we look at our culture and we go, well, whatever's more conservative than what's out there is what a Christian looks like. A Christian always looks more conservative than everybody else. And when we mean conservative, we mean if hemlines are here, then we wear them a little lower. Or if, you know, haircuts are like this, we do it a little more modestly. You know, if X amount of jewelry is acceptable, we do a little bit less than that. So whatever's not excess, whatever's moderate, must be Christian. Now, I know you're laughing. <laughs> I'm laughing, too, because I grew up in it. Um... But if you really stop and think about it, nowhere in the scriptures does it say that the proper Christian attire is whatever's a little bit less than what everybody else is doing. Nowhere does it say that. And um, so you begin to, if you, and I'm, I'm using clothing because it's an easy one. I'm not going to push any hot buttons. But you know, I mean, I could start listing topics. And, and if some of you wouldn't string me up, someone else who's listening to the tape would find me and string me up. Okay, because I could, I could push some topics that would really get people irate. And the point isn't to get people irate. The point is to get people to Jesus. Because if you see Jesus, he will define everything for you. He will define what you wear. He will define your behavior. He will define how you appear as a believer. 
and he will do it in such a way that you're doing it from your heart and not something that's imposed upon you like a false image that's being pressed on you that you have to walk like this and speak like this and drive like this and eat this kind of food and show up on Tuesdays at this kind of gathering and so on and so forth. Okay? So really, even though we're not under a Mosaic law, we are under a pseudo-Christian law, most of us. And I say pseudo-Christian because a lot of it has not been extrapolated from the Scripture. It has been thought up in our own heads. And we have tried to figure out what is good. And we all know that Christians are good people. And so we start going down the line of what is good, okay? And we know that, well, dressing um, immodestly is not good. That's bad. So that Christians should dress modestly, you know, whatever that means. Um, I'll just give you an example of how irrational this can be. And I'm I'm staying on the clothing issue because it's an easy one. Most um, modestly attired people, or ladies, I'll say ladies, wear stockings and a modest hemline. But most ladies who wear stockings may not be aware of where stockings came from. Does anyone know where stockings came from? Do you know? The Roaring Twenties, when hemlines soared to new heights. Okay, they went from here to here. Okay, and women began to wear stockings to show off their legs. And it was a sign of feminism and rebellion. But because it is now behind the times and no longer cutting-edge fashion, it's considered appropriate Christian attire. Now, do you see how irrational that really is? Does that sound just flat-out ridiculous? Okay, I'm not making fun or picking on stockings. I personally don't care to wear them, but if you do, that's okay with me. And if you feel like that's modest attire, I'm not saying don't wear them. I'm giving an example. If you can pick almost anything out of most Christian-based lifestyles, and you can pick it to pieces and find it is mostly irrational. If it's an outward thing that we're doing to, to maneuver our countenance and image to appear Christian, whatever that means. Okay. Now, I am not trying to promote a rebellious attitude that, oh, well, I'm a Christian, so I can do whatever I want, and it's okay. Because those of you who know me well enough know that I don't believe in that either. I'm just saying we need to be a little more rational and maybe take a real good look at what the Word of God says of what the law really is and what God is really expecting of believers. Okay. And what is it that really keeps us? Okay, what is it that really keeps us? And we've kind of talked about this some. I've kind of introduced this already. What really keeps us? Most Christians believe that what keeps us is something that is imposed upon us that will hold us all together. And it is our manners. It is our appearance. It is our outward behavior. And if our outward behavior is proper, then somehow we will be okay. But, um, and I know that not every single Christian is like thinking this consciously. I think... What it is, is most of us really do believe that from our hearts we are serving the Lord and don't really realize that this is going on. Um, I know that even just recently I've discovered some of this in my own life, and I feel like I'm pretty free from the law as far as this type of Christian image stuff on a lot of levels, and I've just discovered some new areas. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's an ever-progressing journey of as you know, not only into Christ's revelation, but self-revelation as well, you know. So I'm not picking on, I'm not saying us and them, we don't do this, but everybody else does. I don't care what your message is. I don't care how great your gospel is. If you're a human being that needs a mind renewed, you are subject to religion and outward law. That is just the way it is. Because it is in human nature to set up a standard and live by it. It's human nature. That makes me think of something. Um, Let's see if I can find it. Lord, help me find it.
Okay. Exodus 19. I'm going to start in verse 3. I wish I'd prepared this chapter better because this just came to mind, which is why I'm reading it. But actually, this would have been good for me to prepare out a little bit more. I'm going to kind of do this by the seat of my pants here. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Okay, here we have the instigation of relationship. No commandments, okay, no, nothing required of Israel. It's a very intuitive thing, as a matter of fact. If you, you know, eagle's wings, we're talking about something spiritual. He bore them on eagle's wings to himself. This is a very spiritual and intuitive relationship. This is not, I told you the three steps or the four spiritual laws, and you did them and you got saved. Okay, he's saying eagle's wings always in the scriptures speaks of, you know, defying gravity and soaring to spiritual heights. There's a spiritual highness about it and the lord initiated this and brought them to himself by his heart he did this out of his love for them not out of imposing a standard okay so he brought them on eagle's wings to himself to himself to his bosom to his heart verse five now therefore if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant then you will be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people for all the earth is mine Okay, and the mind is off and running. Think about this. I brought you in an intuitive spiritual relationship that comes from the gut out of Egypt to myself. And now, if you keep everything in the law and do it all just right, you'll be special. Does that make any sense? But isn't that how we read it? But look how quickly the mind changes. Now, If you do a word study, a very basic one will do. The word keep does not mean to do. The word keep means to hedge about, which means to guard or pay attention to, which is totally different than doing them. I would even go so far as to say that the covenant he's asking him to keep may not have been in the law at this point. Because he already had a covenant with Abraham and he was bringing them out of Egypt on the basis of what he had established with Abraham. This had nothing to do with how they behaved. This had nothing, yes, to hedge about or to guard. And this is in the Hebrew. In the Greek where Jesus says, um, if you keep my commandments, you know, you'll love one another and blah, blah, blah. Same, it's a, it's a different word because it's a different language, but it means the same thing. It means to keep or to guard. It doesn't mean to do. Most places where um, the King James says to keep, it means to guard or to hedge about, not to do. Um, so here we have a covenant situation. He's saying if you keep the covenant, well, the law hasn't even been given yet. So it may not even be the covenant of the law. I haven't searched this out. Like I said, I'm doing this by on the fly here. Um, but if you keep his covenant, um, they will be... a a peculiar treasure unto unto him above all people. But what covenant was in place for sure at, at this point? The Abrahamic covenant back in Genesis chapter 15. That there would be a land and there would be a seed. The only basis of Abraham's relationship with the Lord was a land and a seed. Okay, we'll put it another way. The only basis that Abraham had a relationship with the Lord was he was in Christ and Christ was in him. 
that was the covenant in type. In type. Because being in the land is like being in Christ. And the, and the seed is Christ in us. Okay, that was the covenant. Well, that's a covenant that you keep or you guard, not a covenant that you do. Okay? But automatically we think keep the covenant means do something. And because the Ten Commandments are like right in the same area, we just assume that that's what he's saying. Keep the Ten Commandments and then you'll be special. So we read that. We have hearts for Jesus. We love the Lord. We've truly been born again. We really want to know him. And we want to satisfy his heart. We want to fit into his plan. We don't want to let him down. So we just assume, because the mind is unrenewed and the flesh is used to working on its own and doing things of its own effort and strength, we assume, without even realizing we're assuming, that that is the method by which he, we are going to please the Lord, okay? By something that we do, by something that we keep, meaning something that we do. But if you look at the flow of Scripture, it couldn't possibly mean what we think it means. Because it makes no sense that he would bear someone on eagle's wings to himself and now say, take it to himself and say, do the best you can, folks. That's like so, like schizophrenic. And frankly, brothers and sisters, most of churchianity is schizophrenic. Because we really have Jesus and we really have a lot of made up stuff in our heads that we're trying to live according to that's nonsense. And the two do not mix and we can't figure out why things keep colliding. And so we have this little patchwork thing going. Okay? The Lord is whole and he is rational. (laughs) He really actually makes sense if you can get tuned into his wavelength, you know. And part of that requires your heart turning to him and part of that requires the renewing of the mind. But it really, he's really not that scary. You know, I mean, just just how awful is that? I saved you. I love you. I died for you. You know, I I died the most horrible death known to man ever for you. For all your sins. But if you don't do the best you can, you're in trouble. I mean, that's just like, if you really just call it what we think it is, you know, we get saved, but then we think we have to do something to measure up to to earn his, his love and his approval. If you really just illustrate it like that, it's really actually pretty sick. I mean, I wouldn't be in any kind of friendship like that or marriage relationship or any kind of, I wouldn't be in any kind of relationship like that. But most Christians do it with the Lord every single day. Every single day. We know the Lord loves us, kind of, and we definitely know that we love him, kind of. And, um, and, and as long as it feels like we're pleasing, we, we, we feel okay. But the minute we've done something that we feel challenges um, what we feel his expectation is, like we kind of, the ground moves under us. And it's like an earthquake and things start to roll and we lose our balance and shift and we start to scramble for things to make us feel a little more... I'm okay with the Lord. So, so with some of us, it's maybe something like, like I get in the word. If I feel his presence in the word, I'll feel like I'm close with him. Or someone else's works or ministry and pouring out. But we have our little things that we do. Some of us run away and just go, I'm a failure and quit. You know, and wait till God to touch us and, and then we feel close again. And we all have these little like gerbil wheels that we do. And, um, but see, what I'm here to tell you is the cross breaks this. Okay, I'm painting the picture because I think a lot of times some of this stuff is so familiar to us, we don't even realize we're in it. It's so normal that we can't see how screwed up it really is. But, you know, the, the carnal mind, and the carnal mind just means a mind that hasn't been renewed. It doesn't mean a sinful mind. It just means a mind that sees earth and doesn't see spirit, okay? It's just messed up like this. It can't properly c- comprehend the reality of Christ. And so we're going to interpret 
things of the Lord from its own point of view, and it's going to be wrong. It's going to end up being the law every time. Okay, and when I say the law, and I'm talking about this little weird standard that we get. So it makes no sense for us to have to, you know, after God brings us on eagle's wings to himself, that now he puts the ball in our cart and says, do or die, baby. I mean, the whole thing just makes no sense. So it has to be something different other than you have to do. Verse 6. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all of these words which the Lord had commanded them. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. God didn't tell them to do anything. But they took it as that. Can you see the terrible misunderstanding that took place? Terrible misunderstanding. It's a gross, gross mistake on the initials part. Sincere, not malicious. We just assume it's about doing, guys. We just assume it. We can't even help it. It's like in our being. Yeah, we'll do all that stuff. He didn't say to do it. He said, just guard the covenant. I'll make you into what I want you to be. Okay, we'll do it. Do what? Well, I don't know. Whatever has to be done. We're committed. We're on fire. We're, the, we're your people. We've got to do it. We've got to go around the world and preach our idea of what the gospel is. was actually a really depressing <laughs> bit of information. <laughs> God loves you. Do the best you can, you know, and pass it on to someone else. You know, the Lord is really actually able to make you into what he wants you to be without you suppress, like pressing an image onto yourself that's not even you. He actually can do it. You're actually not on the verge of falling into apostasy every single second unless you behave yourself. You're not about to be swallowed up by sin every single second. The Lord actually knows how to keep those that he died for. He doesn't need you imposing things on yourself to do it. And as a matter of fact, the more you impose regulations from without, the actual opposite comes to pass, that actually sin starts to show up. Can you see then, even if this doesn't make total sense to you, can you see how maybe renewing the mind would be like really important? Because we operate under certain assumptions that just aren't so. And we can't help it. It's like the carnal mind. It just thinks like that. And so the renewing of the mind isn't getting new information in there. It's like a whole another person doing the thinking. Meaning, not that we, we check out and it's a zombie. What I mean by that, the whole other person doing the thinking, is that we're seeing everything from his point of view now. A whole other person is doing the thinking. Okay. So, at this point, <clears throat> Moses goes up to the mountain. Everything starts to happen this way. Right before they go into the land in the book of Joshua, is something that happens in the book of Deuteronomy. And that is, they make a covenant with the Lord to do all the law that God gives them. And all the blessings and curses of the law are laid out. If you do all the law, you'll be blessed. If you break the law, you'll be cursed. Well, what do you suppose came upon all of Israel? The curses came upon Israel. And if you go right down the list of curses, every single one of them happened. Every single one could be found in the historical books. It's absolutely amazing. But if you really stop and think about it, could it have been any other way? Can anybody keep all that stuff? Realistically, it's not even possible. Do you think the Lord knew that? I think so. Then why do you think he would do something like that? Well, maybe it wasn't about them keeping the law ever anyway. Maybe he was trying to do something else. And since their heart moved in a certain direction, he was moving with what they need in the direction they needed to go. And he was going to use that to bring it back around to his ends. Just a thought. 
But if you didn't realize he had a bigger end in sight, you might think that being in the law was actually the deal. See what I'm saying? If you didn't realize that the law actually leads to something else. The law is actually used to take a heart that's bound up with a doing mentality and break it with, help break that mentality out of that heart and coming to completion and rest. Pretty interesting. We've heard actually some teaching on this recently, I believe, a couple Sundays ago. Um, so here we have the doing mentality, and then in Deuteronomy, of course, I'm not going to turn there, but in Deuteronomy, they make the covenant with the Lord. We'll do all the words of the law. We'll do everything written in the book. Okay. So covenant is now made. Not only do they have the Abrahamic covenant that God's going to stay true to no matter what, but they make a covenant of the law that if they do certain things, God will do certain things. If they don't do certain things, God will do other things. Okay? That's the covenant. Now, turn to Romans chapter 7. this mosaic stuff in mind. I'll start reading in verse 1. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. Okay, think mosaic law that we just talked about. How that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman who hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful impulses which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead in which we were held, that we should not serve in newness of spirit, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Okay, that's what I have up here on the board. Marriage and the law. The law was a covenant. Okay, marriage is a covenant. There are different kinds of covenants in the Old Testament that got instituted. There were covenants between God and man all over the place, all different kinds of covenants. Like Noah had a covenant with God. Abraham had a covenant with God. There were covenants between man and man. David and Jonathan had a covenant of friendship that they had bound themselves to each other by a vow of friendship, okay, that made them one, okay? Then there's the marriage covenant between a man and a woman, okay? In the prophets, the Lord describes his covenant with Israel as a marriage covenant, that he is the husband and Israel is the wife, okay? So, but here he's saying that there is a covenant and their relationship was more with the law than it actually was with the Lord in the sense of their, marriage, their, their relationship with the law was like a marriage too. But that wouldn't have been like the same as their relationship with the Lord. This is something else that's kind of going on because they had a relationship with the Lord based on Abraham, whether the law was ever established or not. Because the Lord had promised Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 15 or 17, somewhere in there, that he would have a seed and that seed would possess the land 
and that many nations would be blessed through his seed and that it would be the increase of God, basically. That seemed to be the increase of God. He was promised that many years before. So it was going to happen whether there was a law or not. That may challenge some people, but that's just a fact because it was all based on the Abrahamic covenant. But now they've got a marriage to the law, which happened at the end of Deuteronomy. Okay, And we're not going to read it right now because it's just too much to go into, but you can check it out if you want. So they're married to the law. Well, once there's a covenant, you know, there really wasn't any, in God's mind, there really isn't any such thing as divorce. There isn't an undoing a covenant. A covenant basically is something that cannot be undone. Now, I realize that in human relations, because it's natural and it's type and shadow, things can fall apart, okay? But I'm talking about the inherent essence of what a covenant is, means it doesn't come apart. It doesn't come apart. It's like two things. You have an element over here, you have an element over here, and they get put together and make a whole new element. Okay? It's not two people hanging out. But actually, it's like you have a blue crayon and you have a red crayon. If you melt them together, you, got, you get purple. You get a whole different color, but that are made up of the other two colors, but it's a whole new color. That's what a covenant does. So you can't undo it because you can't get in between the pieces and cut it in half. Okay? So this is the law. The law is their husband. Has dominated them. Has been their head. Has been their provider. Has been their source. Has been their name has been their identity. Does this make sense? It's not just, I'm under the law. I'm doing things I shouldn't have to do. We make it so simple. It's, it's much deeper than this. And the Lord understands it better than we do. Amen. But what happens when we come under a law, it's a marriage covenant. Okay? And the good news is, whether you fully understand it or not, and whether, you, whether you're walking in it fully or not, you've actually been loosed from that marriage. And you're allowed to walk away from it because the guy you were married to died. The law. Okay, he died. So you're free to go do what you want. He can't hang. There's no shadow hanging over you anymore. You don't have to act that way, whatever that way is, by something being imposed on you from without. But the Lord did not leave you headless, sourceless and provisionless. He didn't just say you're free from the law. Do whatever you want. He in the person of Christ put you to death, put the law to death, left that law and all of its um tentacles or all of its impositions into you in the grave and when you were raised up in him you were you were married anew you were married afresh this is your second marriage (laughs) in a certain sense okay and it's it's got a whole new he his his um way of being the head and his way of providing for you and his way of um if you want to call it dominating but it's really not his way of having dominion over you is completely different and it has totally different results It, it bears totally different fruit Okay, and so the cross separated you from something that if you had walked away from it on your own, you would have been an adulteress. You would have been a two timer. See, if you don't like your husband because he's mean to you and you leave him and go marry someone else. Now you have two husbands. And in most many societies, that's a criminal act. You see, it's not because they're not not proper, not not lawful. Okay, you can't just walk away from the law. If he's your head. You can't have Jesus and the law as your husbands at the same time. It's not lawful. So you're either, you either have one husband or you have the other husband. You either have the law as your head or you have Jesus as your head. Well, I have really good news for you. If you're born again, you aren't under the law anymore. Jesus really is your head. Now, you may think you still need to hold it together and have some something because you don't know your husband. But it's not because you're under the law. 
because you aren't. Does that make sense? Is everyone following what I'm saying? Does this make sense? Okay. I know that we impose things on ourselves because we feel like we need to hold ourselves to a standard so we'll feel better about ourselves. And usually this comes um, um, when we want to make sure that we're stable and we're, we're proper and we're right because we don't want to appear shameful and out of control. And I, and I, and I realize this. Um, but I've got news for you. If you really understood who your head was now, you would never be out of control. You would never behave shamefully. You would never behave in a manner that would be an embarrassment to you or Jesus Christ. Because his marriage impregnates you with his life, and the fruit that comes forth is his fruit, not you trying to do it. Good news. <laughs> See, this is what I really like about it, is that it's true whether you know it or not. See, he already did all this before he told us. He went off and did it. I'm reminded of Jewish tradition where... Um, the husband-to-be is to build the house for the, for the family, for the wife he's about to marry. And he works on that house. And they're betrothed, and once they're betrothed, he begins to work on the house. And the wedding date isn't set. The wedding happens when the house is done. Okay. And so whenever the house is done, then he sends the virgins with the, with the lamps of oil, and they go and get the bride. Say, come on, time to go. <laughs> and it's time to have a wedding. The house is done. And I just see that so as what Jesus did. He built the whole thing. Like he provided for every possible scenario. He provided for every possible wrong thing in us, everything that could lead us astray, everything that could seduce us or deceive us, everything that could capture us and take us away from him, everything that could dominate us other than himself, he dealt with at the cross. And then he went and told you about it afterwards and said, look what I did. So the Christian walk is not making these things so. Like, I've got to get out from under the law. The Christian walk is seeing that it is so. That is the renewing of the mind. It's already true. He doesn't think you're under the law. As a matter of fact, the Heavenly Father might be a bit confused as to why we're making such a big deal out of it when it's so settled in his heart that there's no law and he's not putting anything like that on you. But here comes Christianity behaving like a circus, frankly. You know, putting on clown paint and funny clothes and, you know, doing funny, you know, acrobatic acts and, you know, contortions, you know, law gymnastics, contortions of the human frame that were never meant to be, all to please him. And it's just all put on and it's just all an act. And it's just not, just not even what pleases him. It's not even necessary. And if you just really sat down and thought about it, it really isn't even rational. It's coming out of something much, much deeper in the heart of man, which is a deep, deep fear of not being accepted and not being okay with the Lord. And that's where it's coming from. And that's why we are so quick to embrace that kind of relationship where we put something on ourselves. And that's why it's so important to understand that what displeased Jesus died with him. The Father crucified what he didn't like. Not just crucified what he was what he's mad at. He crucified everything that displeases him. Okay? Everything about you he doesn't like went into the grave. And you came up brand new in Jesus. Brand new. Fresh start in Jesus. A whole new husband who doesn't drive you and dominate you like the old husband does. Because it's a fearful master, the law is. And it'll, it'll scare the heck out of you. <laughs> it'll leave you in fear and guilt all the time. Yes, Amber.
Mm-hmm. I think the final count that I heard was 613 or 617 total, something like that. Anyway. I know, let alone do them all. Yeah, I know. It's craziness. I mean, if you just sit down and think about it. But then, okay, now think of that. And at least all of those had types and meanings. They all pointed to Christ. If someone had a heart to see, they could enjoy the Lord in it. See, and, and they can take their faith out of what was happening and put it into the Lord. But what Christianity has done is we've taken things from the scripture and then made up stuff ourselves and mixed them together. So it's not even based in the word of God. And we've got systems that aren't even rational, that never came from the Lord. They have elements of things that God never meant for you to have to worry about. What's that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I know it. So you you accommodate that, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I wasn't going to bring that up. I'm glad you did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything you do, you're supposed to do to be a good parent. Yeah. It's impossible. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's human nature. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I, that's why I wanted to say, just because you go to this church, don't think that you're not under the law. Because you can make everything that's being taught here a law. If you're doing it in your own strength, it becomes law. And it becomes a dominant, harsh master that will drive you. It will drive you. And you will live under shame and condemnation and guilt all the time. And you will never, ever, ever measure up to it. Ever. Okay, I don't care what church you go to because it's in the human heart. Wherever you go, you're going to find it. And the only way out of living that way, in my opinion, honestly, is the revelation of Jesus Christ. To see him by revelation and to see what he did on the cross. Because when you see it and you see how final it is and you see not only what the cross accomplished, but the heart behind having it done in the first place. Like the Lord never, that the, he never even meant for it to be like that. Like, that was the farthest thing from his intention to drive us like that in a harsh, commanding sense. That's, he's a shepherd who leads a flock, not someone who gets behind you and whips you. and says, measure up to the standard, measure up to the standard. You're supposed to be this. Save this many people a year. Be, in, be involved in this many ministries and parent your kids like this and make sure that you're tithing this amount. And, oh, that, you shouldn't wear that dress and don't say that kind of word. Don't listen to that music. Don't go to see a movie if it doesn't. And you just can just go right down the list and exercise 30 minutes a day, five minutes a day. And all of a sudden we get all the worldly stuff of what you ought to do too and if you if you really just sat down and thought about it it doesn't make sense and you have to go okay you know stop the madness i'm gonna sit down and i'm gonna just write out and just even if i can't do it with the holy spirit right now just on a rational sense i'm gonna write down what is what i'm what am i saying expecting of myself and write everything down that you think you should do and then think about what you can actually do in a 24-hour period and you can't even do it all the whole thing is, it because, but it's driven from within, from a deep insecurity in man. Deep, deep, hidden. You can't see it. You can't feel it. It doesn't even come up into your thoughts a lot of times, but it drives you. And the insecurity makes the law seem reasonable. 
it makes it seem like a reasonable way to behave. Okay, so it's not only enough that Jesus actually brought the, this whole relationship of law into the grave. It is absolutely imperative that the Holy Spirit open our eyes to see him and to see that he is not an empty set of meaningless requests and requirements. That is not Christ, Christian living. That is not living. That is living death. That's like, that's like being starved and suffocated and still like people pumping electric shocks into your system so that you kind of keep your extremities kind of keep moving. It's an awful way to be. No wonder there's no life coming out of the church. No wonder we can't get people free. No wonder people don't want to even come to church. No wonder the world doesn't like Christians. Woohoo! Big surprise. Because we're running around like maniacs <laughs> trying to like be the right thing. And it just is so hollow and it sounds hollow and it rings hollow. And the only people who can't see are the people who are doing it. But the whole world knows it's hollow and they will not take you seriously and they will not take me seriously until they see and experience some substance and the substance is christ the law is just the blueprint jesus is the house the law is just the blueprint you can't live in a blueprint you can look at the blueprint you can see all the measurements but you can't live in it okay so, marriage, it drives you. So, the key is not law and Jesus. Now you've got bigamy, which is the case for many of us believers in, in, in our minds. We, we somehow, the only place that these things can be reconciled is in the carnal mind, where it seems okay to have both. But the fact of the matter is, to the Father's heart, and in actual reality, you cannot have both. The law is your husband, and Jesus is your husband. You cannot have both. Any more than you can occupy two points in time and space at the same time. You're going to be in one place or you're going to be in the other place. The law is going to be your head or Jesus is going to be your head. And the fact of the matter is Jesus is your head. I'm not here to say get out from under the law. I'm saying you already are. You can get out and walk away. You have a right to because he's not the boss of you. He died. I'm sorry. I relapsed to, to child speak there. But it's, I mean, sometimes it makes a little more sense to our little minds. But anyway, um, Jesus is our head and he's saying, I'm not putting any of this on you. I want to impregnate you and you will bear what I desire. You will bear it. It will live in you and it will come out of you and manifest itself and it will be after my image. But you can't do that if you're under the law because he impregnates you in a different way. When he, it has a, what the fruit that comes forth has a whole different image, and it looks like this. I'm not going to tell you where I'm turning, but I'm just going to read it. This is what it looks like when when you are impregnated by the law. This is what it look, the fruit, the child that you bear looks like: adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife. Jealousy, wrath, factions, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and the like. If you're married to the law, this is what you get. No, 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 the law helps me behave. It gives me a standard to reach. No, no, no. Well, you may be working effort. Your effort may be coming, may be reaching the standard, but the fruit you bear will be this. This is the Fruit. Well, it says works of the flesh, but it is the fruit. According to Romans 7, the fruit you bear, let's see, is in verse 5. 
For when we were in the flesh, the sinful impulses which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Sin. The fruit is sin. The fruit of the law is sin. Now, this is no time and place to go into my personal history. Okay? And it wouldn't be edifying if I did. But I will just tell you this. I was raised in the church. And my parents were decent Christian folks. They weren't like off the deep end in legalism stuff. They weren't. They were solid, Bible-believing, pretty well-balanced as far as not getting into any excesses of Christianity, you know. And um, I was a good kid. And I really didn't do much wrong. But it all came to a head at one point, And I'm telling you, all kinds of stuff happened. And I don't know where the heck all that stuff came from. But it was sin. And it was wrong. And I had not fed that in any way. Like, I had not on the sly done things to, like, trigger something in me. It just started coming out. Like, where's all this coming from? Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's not even, like, questionable. It was just flat sin. I mean, it was bad stuff. And um, I just had to realize. One day, I finally realized what it was. I had been living according to a standard all my life. And this, I, this was the, the child of it. This was the child of it. This was the child. I didn't do it. I bore it. See what I'm saying? Because I did everything right. I did all the right Christian things. I wore the right clothes, used the right language, went to the right meetings, sang the right songs, was involved with the right outreaches. I did all that. And God used me. You know, I led friends to the Lord. I was involved in prayer meetings. But at a certain point, almost against my own wishes, stuff started coming out. And it, was, it like carried me. And I'm just like, whoa! I didn't even think it was possible for something like that to come out of a good girl like me. Seriously. And um, <laughs> it was quite a ride. But I'll tell you, it was quite an object lesson. Okay, this is what the law impregnates you with. And you could be doing good things, but you will be bearing fruit unto death. You will bear fruit unto death. And that's the seduction of the law. See, that is the seduction of the law. The seduction of the law is it will make you look good on the outward appearance. But what it actually does is magnify what's on the inside of you. So that's why the Pharisees, Jesus said, you're whited sepulchers. On the outside, you're whitewashed and clean, and inside, you're dead man's bones. And boy, that made him so mad. Because they thought they found the answer in all the right things they did on the outward. Okay? Now, this brings up another question, and this is a total tangent, but I'm just going to throw this out here and be the renegade Christian here. What if your brother or sister has been under the law for years and the Lord's trying to deal with them? What do you think is going to be inevitable to that brother and sister you love? You think they might bear a child at some point? How are you going to treat that brother or sister? Are you going to say, you didn't measure up to the law. Look what you did and cut them off from Christian fellowship? Or are you going to come to them with the good news of Jesus Christ that they're not married to that head anymore and they actually have a different husband and don't have to bear that kind of child? Just think about what we do to believers. Just think about it. I mean, I know I'm guilty. I've been on both ends. I've, I've been on both sides of the story. And maybe will again. I'm not even saying that I'm totally innocent here. I, I mean... You live long enough, and you're if you're just really honest with yourself, you know, I've done it. I've done it. I've cut people. I've written them off. You did that. And even though I didn't do it outwardly, there's like this, in my mind, this little shutting down, like, well, you're not one of us then. Or, well, I guess another one bites the dust. Oh, well, keep on going. How heartless and cold that this is a member. 
excuse me, this is a member of Jesus's body. He died for them and he is their husband, but we are treating them like they're a prostitute and we're casting them off. Okay, when they it may be that they're a little confused about who their head is, but that doesn't change who Jesus already made him by the cross. And I'm not saying we go, oh, it's okay, you sin, but we don't care about sin around here. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the child is the evidence that there's a serious integral breach on the inside. Okay, and the answer to that is not taking a machete to them and hacking them to pieces. The answer is to show them who their head is. Because if they get joined, not they already are joined to Jesus, but if they actually end up getting joined in their understanding, they'll start bearing the right stuff. And I'm here to tell you, the ones that do the most wrong and grab hold of the grace of God in these areas are some of the biggest Jesus bearers you're going to find. Because they found out. And I'm not all all about like, well, go out and sin so you can figure it out. Because the, then we're back to Romans 6.1. What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound. You know, woohoo. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying what a poignant lesson when it's when you are your own object lesson. You know, what a poignant lesson that is. And it's really too bad that we are so quick to not perceive what is going on. And it would be wise. And, you know, you may not have seen this yet, but if you, a lot of you are really young. It won't take long. There's sin all over the place in the church. Okay, it won't because the laws all over the place in the church. It won't take long. And somebody, you know, or someone that's impacted your life is going to do something or have done done something that you would never have expected of them. Okay, and I'm not saying you go, it's okay, I don't care. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is check with the Lord first and ask him what he thinks is going on. He may say, danger, Will Robinson. That person is a wolf. Stay away. He may tell you to do that. But he may say, that person loves me and needs some fellowship right now. I mean, otherwise, what do you do with things like the woman caught in the act of adultery? Here comes the mob who knows so much with their big rocks. They caught her in the act. And they were right because the law, all 617 of them, say that if you catch a woman in the act of adultery, you stone her. And Jesus said, okay, whoever hasn't broken the law... You kill her. Jesus knew what was up. They, see, it's so hypocritical. The whole thing's just so messed up. The, stand, the, the stand, double standards abound in this whole situation. The, the, the best thing is that Jesus takes the whole thing to the grave and raises up something brand new, and we're all on ground zero, the level playing field. Every single one of us is guilty. Every single one of us has sinned. Every single one of us has been under the law. Every single one of us has judged our brother and sister. Every single one of us has cut one another off. Every single one of us has related to the Lord based on shame and guilt. Every single one of us, because it is the human condition apart from Jesus Christ. It is the human condition. Okay? And so he just cut that whole thing down. He cut it all off. Okay? And brought you into a new marriage and says, okay, now I'm going to tell you how it's going to be. I'm your husband, and I'm going to make the judgment calls here. This is how it's going to be. You're going to bear what pleases me. You don't have to do it. You're going to bear it. You're going to bear my name. You're going to bear my image. And the image that does transform us is going to come from within and not from something that's imposed from without. And what's so beautiful about that is that not only is he doing it so that you're just, and that just frees you, like takes the bonds off. And you, you can just be you, you know, and you with Jesus in you. Not only is it that, but then all of a sudden, the heart that he put in you to love him is free to express that and is free to labor with him in the bringing forth of the son. 
Like your heart's caught up in it too. Instead of, I'm afraid, I have to, I ought to, I don't really want to. But, oh, it's bad to think I don't really want to. I really should want to. So I want to. And all the little woo-hoo-hoos, you know, little roller coasters and gymnastics in our head. So bringing forth fruit unto death uh, bringing, versus bringing forth um, Christ. So uh, verse 6 just says it then. <clears throat> But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead in which we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in oldness of letter. Okay? Here's the contrast. Spirit and letter. Spirit and letter. Letter is a written standard, whether it's written on a a piece of paper, if it's written in your mind, wherever it's written. Okay? It's written somewhere. It's written on your messed up conscience, so you have a whole wrong idea of what's going on, so you're guilty, feeling guilty all the time. Okay, but then there's spirit. Now, what does that mean? Ooh, I'm in the spirit. Ooh, I'm floating around. Oh, God told me to cross the street right here. I'm in the spirit. No, that's not what this means. This means he took, he put you into a spiritual union. The marriage is spirit. The marriage is spirit. Not, I'm in the spirit. God told me to buy white paper instead of cream colored paper. And it worked out because the person I ministered to needed white paper. You know, we think we're all in the spirit when things, when the spirit, Holy Spirit guides our actions down here. That's not walking in the spirit. Walking in the spirit is walking in spirit reality, spiritual union, spiritual marriage, spiritual life, spiritual viewpoint. And your substance is now spirit. Your substance is not mad, earthly matter. That's walking in the spirit. So we serve in newness of spirit, not in the oldness of letter. Let's see. One more verse and then we'll close. Galatians chapter 3. Boy, I bet the Lord threw them a curveball with that woman in the adultery thing. Oh, my gosh. He made them so mad. He wasn't trying to make them mad. He was actually showing mercy to them. Because what he was saying was, well, if you stone her, then we have to stone you. I mean, he was actually saying, I'm letting you guys go free too. But they didn't take it like that. They got all upset. You know, and self-righteous people do. And every single one of us have been self-righteous sometime or will be. And, we'll, and I'll tell you how you know you're self-righteous. When you're upset that someone else gets mercy that you know doesn't deserve it. And you're upset. Hello, Pharisee. Seriously. I mean, just call a spade a spade, man. I'm not saying, I'm not putting you down. I do this to myself. Okay, I say, hello, elder brother, when the prodigal son comes back. You know, hello, elder brother, who doesn't want to come in and join the party. You know, hello, Pharisee that's trying to stone the person in sin, and God says to that person, you're free, no consequences. And I go, they should have some consequences. How are we going to maintain law and order around here if someone isn't made a public example of? Jesus doesn't rule like that. Jesus doesn't make public examples. Isn't that nice? It sure will be when it's your turn. People will make public examples and need to air out all of our sins. But I am here to tell you that love covers all sins. Love will hide someone else's sin, not expose it. Oh, we need to get our grievances out and air it. Yeah, while you crucify a member of the body of Christ and deny the whole cross that crucified him already anyway, you know, you will act based on what you believe. If you believe that sin is not dealt with, you will expose and crucify your brother. If you really believe that sin is dead, you will cover their sin. Yes, you will. Yes, you will.
And if you don't believe me, just wait for the woman caught in the act of adultery thing and you're the woman and you will know exactly what I'm talking about because <laughs> you will need to be covered so bad at that point and you will realize the value and the wisdom and the beauty and the nature of all that Jesus intends in covering sin. Anyway, um, sorry, I'm ranting and raving. Um, Galatians chapter 3, 21. It's so cool that God used a, an ex-Pharisee to say all this. It's just way cool. Uh, it's not coming from a Gentile. It's coming from a Jew who was a ze- zealot. I mean, he was zealous and kept the law among many of, beyond many of his elders. Uh, verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God being the covenant of Abraham? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. So... This verse is saying a lot of things. I'm not going to say everything the verse is saying. The only thing I want to point out to you in this verse is that life and righteousness are bound up together. The problem with the law, the only failing of the law, because the law is right, the only failing of the law, as far as the Mosaic law is concerned, is that it couldn't inspire and breathe life into the people who were trying to keep it. Okay. So if you're unrighteous when you're not with the law, you'll be unrighteous with the law. Now, I did spend a lot of time in this class talking about the pseudo-Christian law. And that's a whole other issue. But, it, it, so, but, but there is some overlap in dealing with the guilt and the conscience and what will drive you to you know, strive again and again and again until you need Jesus. Okay? It, it, it does overlap with the Mosaic law. But in fact, it isn't scriptural, most of what, much of what Christians are pursuing as what is Christianity. But now, so I have to you know, tie this back up. But this is the law, the Mosaic law. If there was a law, if there was any law that could have given life, then you could have been made righteous by the law. But until there's a law out there that gives you life, there's not going to be a law out there that gives you righteousness. <laughs> okay? Now, there is one law. I, I lied. One more verse. How much time do I have, Tony? Are you, okay. Good. And this will be a good stopping place. Romans 8, 1. And you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But I'm just going to read it. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. There's a law in Christ. It's the law of the spirit of life. If you grab hold of that law, and that's not like a law that you do. That's like a law like the law of gravity. It's always in effect. Okay? If you're living in Christ, a certain law kicks in. If you're living in Christ, life comes out of you. Okay? That is what replaces this outward standard. So before you kept yourself by something outward, and you kept you in line so you wouldn't get deceived, and you wouldn't sin, and you wouldn't fall away from the Lord, and you wouldn't miss God's will for your life, and all that, that all these outward things kept it. But if you're in Christ the law of the spirit of life that spirit of life works in you and that will keep you that keeps you from within and that's the mighty work of the cross in reference to the law okay before the cross you did need something outward to keep you all together okay but because you're born again you have something in you that will keep you he wrote the law in your heart is what it says in in jeremiah the law is written on your heart and it will keep you it will keep you I don't have time to go there, so we won't. We'll just close out. 
Father, I just want to thank you for this session. I thank you for coming forth in your word. I thank you for sharing with all of us. I just pray that um, you will just, with this particular group of people right here in this room, that you will just do a work in relationship to not needing to measure up based on things that we do, but that we will understand your complete acceptance in the Son and be able to live your life in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys, you're dismissed.